Should we pray as we look at God's word together? Father God, we thank you that we can praise you, we can worship you, Lord. We thank you for the hope of Christmas and the truth of Christmas. And Lord, we look forward to, Lord, not just getting stuff and you know, having a few days off or whatever it may be, Father. We look forward to just joining, really, with every generation, Lord, for 2,000 years. And even long, long before, who were expecting his birth. Lord, and just remembering that amazing moment when your only son became a human being, took on flesh, became like us, yet perfect. Father, he lived to die. And Lord, Lord, he died and then lived again. And Lord, he ascended to heaven. And Lord, we know that he sits at your right hand, Father, and that he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. Lord, our Savior lives. He doesn't just have lived, Lord. He lives now and forevermore. And we thank you for him. And we thank you for your love. And we ask for your spirit now as we look at your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. I remember um, nearly 14 years ago, um, getting the news that me and Andrea were going to have a baby. Well, Andrea was going to have a baby. Um, um, and I remember the feeling when she told me for the first time, being fairly terrified. Um, I haven't quite got over that feeling, to be fair. Um, but being quite frightened of the prospect of having a child and not quite sure what to do with it, or he or she, or whenever they turned up. Um, but we, and we had to make a very important decision uh, quite quickly. We had nine months to think about it. We had to name this child, we didn't know if it was a boy or a girl, we liked the surprise in our family, or we liked, let's put that in the past tense, we liked the surprise, we're not doing it again, um, but we didn't, like, we, we didn't like to know um, boy or girl, so we, we had to pick names, and we had a whole variety, like most parents, we had about 75 on each gender uh, to go with when he or she arrived, and it was the most difficult thing, we, did it, we liked it so much, we did it again 16 months later with Hannah Marie, and when we chose our two children's names, we wanted to have names that sounded good. Um, we wanted to have names that couldn't be shortened too much, but we've given up with that. Um, but really, we wanted to pick two names that had significance, that meant something, that had a meaning that when they said to us, why have you chosen these names, we could say, actually, because they mean this. Not just that we liked it, not knocking that, but we liked them as well, but we wanted to have names that had a real significance. And actually, it's quite a good time of your life because you get to work out what your name means. And you won't be surprised to know that my name means spear thrower. I don't know why you're laughing. More, more accurately, spear, which I think is quite good. If I ever, you know, go into a life of crime, which I'm not presently planning to, I think I'll be known as spear thrower. Like, oh, spear thrower's been here. But um, that's, my, that's my name, spear thrower. This is ironic, because if you've ever seen me do javelin in uh, secondary school, um, spear thrower is not the name you give me. Limp spear chucker, perhaps. Anyway, we'll move on from there. So over Advent... We thought it would be good um, to really, having, having already explored sin the last two weeks and we, and we really confronted what sin was and what it does, uh, we thought it would be a really good progression from there to look at the names of Jesus. Because these names of Jesus all have meaning. They're not just names that Mary and Joseph thought sounded good or fitted or, or couldn't be shortened or whatever it be. The names of Jesus, and he's, been, he's given lots of them in the Bible, are really titles. They're the titles of God's Son as a baby. And uh, so before we get to that, let me tell you a few jokes, because it is Christmas, and I know everyone likes to laugh. Anyway, so, name-related jokes. Ready? What do you call a man with a seagull on his head? Cliff, obviously. What do you call a man with a spade on his head? Doug. What do you call a man without a spade on his head? Doug Less, very good. Um, what do you call a man in a raincoat? Mac. What do you call a man in a large raincoat? Big Mac. You've heard these before. What do you call a man with two raincoats? Max. No. 
What do you call a man who has two raincoats and stands in a cemetery? Max Bygraves. <laughs> I googled Google these myself. Um, what do you call a woman setting fire to a bill? Bernadette. Bernadette. Oh, well, it's not that hard. Final one, then we move on. Anyway, what do you call a woman singing? Carol. Carol. Come on, it's not, it's not difficult. Anyway, let's move on very quickly from there. So across the Bible, um, you find all the main characters, all the sort of important people are all given names at birth, or either given names at birth or their names are changed when they start a particular mission for God. And almost always, when someone's given a name either at birth or as they begin a particular ministry, it's because that name sort of encapsulates and what they're about to do, who they're going to become. It has a real significance. In fact, in the Old Testament particularly, when a baby was given a name, it was almost prophetic. You're going to become this person, this man, this woman. And there's a real um, sense of sort of giving a name, giving a destiny, giving an importance to that person. And so when the Son of God was born that first Christmas, it's the same thing, and we often miss it. You see, Jesus wasn't just a good first name, although it was common, perhaps, It wasn't just a good first name. And Christ, this is a shock to a lot of people, Christ isn't his second name. Like Gary Hansen, it's not Jesus Christ, the second name. These are both titles of this newborn king. And we ought to refer to Jesus as Jesus the Christ. Because they're both titles for who he was and what he came to do. And we'll get on to this over the next three or four weeks. And, And actually, when you become a Christian, the same thing happens to you as well. God gives you a new name, gives you a title to describe who you are now in Christ. When I became a Christian, I went from being lost to becoming a child of God. My title is child of God, sons and daughters of God, if you like. We're now the people of God. One Peter says, you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. When you became a Christian, God gave you that name, son, child of God. What a great title to have over yourself. People love to label us, don't they? They love to say, you know, you're, you're this or you're that, good or bad. But God has given you a title, child of God. And it is the most liberating thing to be called. It defines, it should define everything about you. You're a child of the living God. And so our first name in our Advent series is Messiah. Jesus God's son is called the Messiah. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 11, when the angels appear to the shepherds, you remember they say to them, today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Um, If you've got a different translation, you may probably have that written as he is Christ, the Lord. Uh, The words Christ and Messiah, uh, the word Messiah is from a Hebrew word, which is the Old Testament's written in Hebrew, of course. The New Testament is written in Greek, and the word Christ is a New Testament word. So Messiah and Christ are two words, Hebrew and Greek origin, and they both really mean the same thing. He is the Messiah, the Lord. He is Christ, the Lord. And those two words have the same meaning. It means anointed one or chosen one. And this is really important because as Jesus is born, he's given this title as the Messiah, the anointed one, the chosen one of God. And the reason he's given that title is because what the angels are doing, what God is doing through his people, is pointing the hearers and the listeners and the watchers back to the first half of the Bible, the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, there were prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. There was an expectation that had been building from Genesis all the way to Malachi that God was going to send one, one person, 
one man, and he was going to be the anointed one, the chosen one. He was going to come to earth, set apart by God, and he was going to bring salvation to this broken, sinful world we talked about last week. And so the shorthand term for this figure was the Messiah. People say, I'm waiting for the Messiah. When the Messiah comes, this will happen, that will happen. There was an expectation of the Messiah that he would come and he would do God's will in a powerful way that no one else had ever done before. And so when he's given that title, we're being pointed back to the Old Testament and the waiting for the Messiah. And Pat is absolutely right. We should, as Christians, be praying for our Jewish friends across the world because they still wait for the Messiah. They're still waiting for the one chosen by God to bring them their salvation. And it is heartbreakingly tragic that he has been and he has died for them. He has risen from the grave and ascended to heaven. And we pray, and we should pray as Christians, that their eyes will be opened and their hearts softened to the Messiah, their Messiah, as much as ours. We're grafted into that branch and we want them to know the King of Kings like we do. In the Old Testament, people would be anointed by God for particular tasks. So, for example, if you were called to be a prophet, think of people like Elisha and Elijah, you'll be anointed by oil, particularly. People were anointed to be priests. Um, 1 Kings 19, 19, I won't read it, uh, just talks of being anointed to be a prophet of God. A prophet is someone who declares the words of God to people. Uh, people were anointed to be priests, Leviticus 8, 12. And when people were kings of Israel, they were also anointed with oil in 1 Samuel 10, verse 1. So an anointed one in the Old Testament could refer to any of those three particular roles, prophet, priest, or king. If you were serving God at the temple or the palace or declaring the words of God in the towns and villages, you would have been anointed and be a chosen one, anointed by God. And what's really interesting is when you look through the Old Testament, some of the real giants who were prophets, priests, and kings were all waiting for one person who would come one day and who would fulfill all three of those jobs, who would be the best prophet, the best priest, and the best king, but all in one person. Not an anointed one like they were, but the anointed one, who would be all three, the ultimate prophet, priest, and king, who would fulfill God's purposes on earth. Moses himself, in Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, said this to the Israelites, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, from among you, from your fellow Israelites, you must listen to him. This is a messianic promise for Moses. There's going to be a prophet. I'm a prophet. I've been anointed by God, but God is going to send the prophet, the one, the one that will lead you. That's who you're supposed to listen to. He's looking forward. He's a type of Christ, if you like, but he's looking forward to Jesus when he comes. Psalm 110, verses 1 to 4, again, referring to the Son of God, says, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on, the day of, on your day of battle, arrayed in holy splendor. Your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. From, from the, morning's womb. the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And so in the priesthood, they're expecting this one that would come who would be the ultimate priest, who would be a priest forever, and wouldn't be bound by death like the average priest in Israel. And then Psalm 2, I probably won't read all of this, says, 
Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in, the heaven, in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. The Lord rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, on my holy hill, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like pottery. And I am reading the whole thing. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss the son or lest he be angry. And on your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So they were expecting an anointed one who would be the priest, the prophet, and the everlasting king. And so the significance of calling that baby in the manger Messiah or Christ was not lost on those shepherds. And part of the reason they were so over the moon when they went to see him, because they knew God had finally spoken. And what we don't realize is that this messianic expectation had built up across the whole of the Old Testament. But what we don't realize is that that one page in between the Old and New Testament in your Bible, you probably should have one single sheet of white paper. Yeah? You know what I'm talking about? The end of Malachi? Do you know how long that bit of paper represents? Hang on. That little bit there. Between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New. About 450 years four centuries and in that fourth century there'd been no revelation of God at all there'd been no words spoken by any prophets or anything things happened important things happened but God hadn't spoken to his people so this expectation of Messiah wasn't just there it was an agonizingly quietly here as well and so when this baby is born it doesn't just mean oh wow that could be interesting this is at last the Messiah has finally come And on that first Christmas, when the heavens rearranged themselves and the skies parted and the angels danced and shouted and cheered, the anointed one has finally arrived. No wonder those shepherds jumped for joy. No wonder we jump for joy when we sing his praise because he is our Messiah. And I've been waiting for him my whole life before I met him. Jesus was anointed, but not with oil like those prophets, priests, and kings of the Old Testament. He was anointed by God's Holy Spirit. And Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 to 17 says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. A voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. He would be anointed too, of course, with the perfume of sinners and the tears of the broken who have been forgiven and made whole. How wonderful is our Messiah. He would speak the words from Isaiah 61 in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. He would say of himself, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. He's looking back to that verse and saying, I am he, I am the one you're expecting. When he said to them, this has been fulfilled in your hearing, they went mad at him. Who do you think you are? 
He knows exactly who he is. Isaiah 42 says of this messianic figure, He is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. And that's just what he did whilst walking this earth. This is our Messiah, the one who reaches out to the broken, heals the lost, and brings home the prodigal. He is our Saviour who is alive now and forevermore. And do you know how I know he's alive? Not just because of the stories in the Old Testament, not even in my own life, not even in the work of this and other churches who try their best to follow our King. But do you know, even across this world today, and for a long time, Jesus himself has been reaching out to people through dreams and visions in places where the gospel is very difficult to preach, where people have got very hard surroundings, often in countries where Christianity is totally sidelined and oppressed and persecuted. Let me read to you a couple of stories. Um, I just want to read this to you because it's so easy to leave Christmas in the past and our Messiah over there somewhere. But he works, and he works now, and he works amazingly. He works through his church in conventional means, but he works in unconventional means as well. Let me tell you about Kamal. Kamal lives in a Middle Eastern country. He remembers a man he knew who was searching for the truth, a Muslim. The man told him he'd heard a voice one day as he lay in bed, telling him to go to a local supermarket nearby. The voice said, you will find me there. When he arrived, he picked up a newspaper containing an advertisement for for the movie Jesus It simply said, if you want a copy of the movie Jesus, or if you want to know the truth about him, call this number. Kamau called the number which connected him to Christians locally. He ended up giving his life to Christ. Tufik, uh, a local uh, Muslim high flyer in his local community, had been selected by his local mosque to be trained in Saudi Arabia for further Islamic studies. After finishing his education in Saudi Arabia, he returned to become an imam in his village. He led the construction of 16 mosques in the area. He also imposed a rule. No village leaders or visitors could preach Christianity in his town. One night in the midst of his zeal, his journey to Christ began unexpectedly. There was an incident in 2002 where I had a vision from the Lord early in the morning about 3 a.m., he said. In the vision, I saw Jesus very clearly telling me to follow him. My wife asked me what happened in my dream because I woke up very startled. And when I explained it to her, she was scared and she said, we're going to be called infidels, so we need to pray. Tufik told her which Quranic verses Jesus had told him to read, which showed him that Jesus should be believed and followed. He said, when I returned to sleep, he had another vision. Jesus appeared again saying, it's me, follow me. When you follow me, you will pay a price. There will be persecution in your life, but in the end you will be victorious. I am with you. His wife and children were reluctant to accept the idea of following Jesus, but Tufik could not ignore the visions and he began to attend his local church. After attending his first church service, Tufik asked to meet the leaders. Initially they were suspicious of his motives, knowing his reputation of one of the most influential Islamic leaders in the area. I told them about my dreams and everything else, 
So they accepted and prayed for me. He said, I wanted to show my change externally, so I stopped wearing my Islamic-style clothes. The news of my attending church spread quickly back home, and many people started to cry, thinking me as good as dead, as is the belief there. And so the story would go on much longer, but I'll stop there. And it's amazing, isn't it? And it's mind-blowing to think that Jesus, our Messiah, isn't dead. That he's still alive now, and he reaches out to people in the most unreachable places and this morning he reaches out to the most unreachable heart in the UK and that might be you you might be feeling that you're a long way from your king and your God that maybe once you were closer well he has not changed and the opportunity to return is always there our Messiah has come our Messiah is real our Messiah is the hope of the earth this and every Christmas he is the anointed one but he anoints us too Not with oil, but he anoints us too with the Holy Spirit so that we too can go and preach good news into this dark world, the hope of forgiveness for sin. And so as we start Advent, we realize that just as they waited for the first arrival of Jesus Christ, we too are waiting for our Messiah in 2017, not to come and save us, but to return in glory and judge the living and the dead and take us home. And so our challenge this morning is to look back at his example, how he lived, what he said, what he did, what he didn't do, and to live like our king, but then to look forward and know that he is coming back soon and to live as if every day were our last so that we would stand before him and we want him to call us good and faithful servants. Before we sing another song and worship that living Messiah, Christ the Lord, I want to read to you a poem You may want to shut your eyes as I read these words because it just describes who Christ is and why Christ came. And when I've finished, if the music group are ready, perhaps we'll go straight in to our song if you want to come up so I get ready to read it. And we're going to sing Jesus, Holy and Anointed One. But just as I read this poem to you, just think about what, who Christ is and why he came. If you want to shut your eyes, that's that's fine. Christ for sickness, Christ for health, Christ for poverty, Christ for wealth, Christ for joy, Christ for sorrow, Christ for today, Christ for tomorrow, Christ my life and Christ my light, Christ morning, noon and night, Christ when all around gives away, Christ my everlasting stay, Christ my rest and Christ my food, Christ above my highest good, Christ my well-beloved friend, Christ my pleasure without end. Christ my Saviour, Christ my Lord. Christ my portion, Christ my God. Christ my shepherd, I his sheep. Christ myself, my soul to keep. Christ my leader, Christ my prince. Christ have wrought my soul's release. Christ my righteousness divine. Christ for me and he is mine. Christ my wisdom, Christ my meat. Christ restores my wandering feet. Christ my advocate and priest. Christ who never forgets the least. Christ my teacher, Christ my guide. Christ my rock, in Christ I hide. Christ the ever-living bread. Christ his precious blood have shed. Christ has brought me nigh to God. Christ the everlasting word. Christ my master, Christ my head. Christ who for my sins has bled. Christ my glory, Christ my crown. Christ the plant of great renown. Christ, my comforter on high. Christ, my hope, draws ever nigh. Amen.